0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 48 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, October 13th, 2014. Well, it's Columbus Day here in the United States, and as comedian John Oliver asked, how is this still a thing? My favorite question about that whole thing is, if Columbus discovered America, can the slaves he took back be credited with discovering Europe? But here at PNR, we're here to help you make some awesome discoveries, you know, but without the slavery, genocide, smallpox, and the burning of the ships. Every week here at PNR is nothing but wonderful new discoveries in content marketing, and you can always subscribe and get those discoveries on Tuesdays via iTunes or Stitcher. And then, as always, stop by the blog post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com, where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we rant and rave about here. All right, it's time to get this show of content marketing discovery on the road by introducing my colleague, my co-host, my good, good friend, coming this week from Cleveland, Ohio, and about ready to take a trip, the always great, the always fresh Ponce de Leon of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? (laughs) I can't believe you started the episode by dissing Christopher Columbus. (laughs) There it is. There it is, you know, without the smallpox and the genocide.
1: Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I had a um, fantastic Sunday, and it was a rarity.
0: Oh, my gosh. Was, I mean, it, it. I'm giddy this morning with football. It is just a wonderful, wonderful Monday after a beautiful Sunday. So for those of you that don't know, the,
1: the Cowboys beat Seattle at Seattle, which rarely happens, I think, every Every, it's
0: the second time in three every lunar seasons.
1: eclipse, I think it happens, and yep. then uh, the Browns, well, which was really nice. So I took uh, my youngest son, Adam. It was his first Browns Steelers game
0: ever. Oh, I love this. So love you know, this. of course,
1: you get, I get a little concerned because there's there's quite a bit of foul language, and if you know Browns Steelers rivalries, it gets a little bit worse at the game. But we went and just saw, and on. I, I mean, I've seen. See, I've been a season ticket holder for the Browns for six, seven years now. I've been going to the games for over a decade. That's the best game I've ever seen them play. Anyways, it was great. Adam had a fantastic time, and it was actually – there weren't nearly as many Steelers fans there as I was expecting. I think that because a lot of Steelers fans know they're not great this year. Apologies to our our listeners that
0: are Steelers fans. But, yeah, it's just nice. Let's hope – Oh, what a great debut. I mean, it was just a wonderful debut for your kid, and it was just a a, a lovely way to spend a Sunday for sure, I'm Good sure. Good
1: experience all the way around, and here we are on Monday, and you're in town this week, which is cool.
0: I'm in town for the last week. Uh, you know, next week starts my big marathon. I'm probably home four days from starting next week through Thanksgiving, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a marathon for sure. But uh, all good stuff, all CMI master classes and client work, and it just uh, just all sorts of fall goodness here. It'll be fun. So uh, we had It'll a we fun. had
1: quite a busy week of uh, content marketing. A smorgasbord news, right? of news. A yeah.
0: smorgasbord of news this week. Yeah, um, and we'll start with the top story, which is uh, an acquisition story, actually. Story worldwide. Uh, the large content marketing agency uh, has been acquired by a company called Next15. Uh, they were acquired and reported uh, the aqu- acquisition for $6.6 6 million, uh, which uh, this, the offices of story, of course, they've got offices in Seattle and New York. Um, they're looking to finish the acquisition by the end of the month. When they've got clients like Unilever and Lexus and BeachNut. Um, Really, what did you make of this? I mean, did you did you talk with uh, Simon over there and 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 get any scoop? So we we
1: are we are really good friends with the folks at Story. So Simon Kelly is our chief operations officer. I've known Simon for years. Actually, I can you know hat tip to Simon. One of the reasons why Content Marketing Institute exists in the first place because Simon kept kicking me in the pants, saying, "Joe, when are you going to do this?" So, I have yeah. to give Simon a lot of props and, uh, and Kirk Shavitz, the CEO. So, congratulations to both of them. Uh, couldn't have happened to, to two better guys. But, um, you know, I, I did want to get some comment because we, we should probably talk about how much they were sold for and whatnot. And I think you and I were both a little bit surprised that it was so low. Uh, and and yeah. I think, th- to be honest, and I asked Simon about it, and Simon couldn't say anything for various reasons, but I think there's some intricacies to this deal that we're not aware of right now. Um, so I think on the face, uh, the, the PR Week article here says $6.6 million in cash for, uh, for Story Worldwide. And this is just the U.S. version because the U.K. version of Story Worldwide was sold off in December of last year. So right. here's right. the U.S. version. I'm, ha- I'm happy for, I guess, when I saw it, The first thing when I sent it over to you was, here we go, right? I mean, this is, we're going to really start. We saw McMurray TMG happen, uh, what was that, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, Just a few months ago, we had uh, Kircher Burkhart, which large German uh, content marketing agency was purchased, or they merged with Berta Creative, creating something called C3, which goes for I think Creative Code and Conduct or something. But from what I can tell, that that was the th- that was becomes the third largest agency in Germany. We didn't cover it on here, but I'm just finding the details out of it. So if you think about who are the biggest, you got Meredith uh, out of New York. You've got McMurray TMG, which is probably number two. And then you've got now the C3 out of Germany. So it's just interesting to see these deals start to happen. And I don't know if you had a, a different take than... Just here we go, type of
0: take. Yeah, I don't know that it's different as much as it is a, you know, I think this is what's interesting to me is can there be a pure play content marketing agency that exists, right? You know, for that, it, and what I mean by that is. Can there be a pure play content marketing agency that exists from delivering strategy, delivering the execution, and delivering the creative, and in some cases the content, and can deliver the measurement on the backside of it? Right? Is is you know we talk all the time, right, in in workshops and in our events and everything about how content marketing is a process, a methodology that is infused into the larger, broader practice of marketing. So we believe that, and so that goes to follow that. Any content marketing agency is going to itself be infused into the larger process of marketing at some point. Does that mean that very much like you've got social media agencies today, you've got SEO agencies today, you've got direct marketing agencies today, you've got creative boutiques, technology boutiques? Will you know? Do those boutiques or do those content marketing agencies themselves get infused into broader advertising agencies? So does every advertising agency ultimately have to build content marketing as a, uh, you know, as a some as a focus as something that they do for their clients? I think they do. I think they will. And I think this deal is indicative of that infusion these are mm-hmm. agencies that are saying you know what we could build this or we can go buy I, it we can go find someplace to i think buy that's
1: it. it right it's build or buy if you're a large agency yeah. out there right now you're looking at building it or buying it and sometimes if you're looking for court like for example if uh who's the company here next 15 if next 15 was right. looking for how do we get inroads into the luxury market of content that story that's what they just bought that's Story right. is probably the best. When somebody says, What's your best example of uh, content services and luxury? It's probably Story Worldwide. I mean, they've had, you know, and you can mention McMurray TMG that has Ritz Carlton, but uh, you've got Story that has had le- that Lexus account and been growing that for a long, long time. Um, they do also Endless Vacation, RCI's publication, which is fantastic. Right. Uh, won a Content yep. Marketing Award last year. So. Uh, really, But the one thing I thought was funny before we go on to the next one. So the the contact here for Next15, uh, last name Mr. Dyson, told PR Week, Story is the first advertising agency we have bought. <laughs> and right. knowing how Kirk and Simon have fought against advertising, they they <laughs> called themselves the post-advertising right. agency. They basically yeah. say advertising is over as we know it, and we've got to go on to to. You know, they, what they would call post advertising or what we call content marketing. But this content advertising thing is newer. That's a newer thing. So, you know, Story calls themselves sort of a content advertising agency. What do you think about that term, content advertising?
0: I, I mean, I think it's an oxymoron in, in, in some ways. I mean, this is, you know, it. I don't want every show to be about terms. <laughs> it seems <laughs> so like our last we get, months were – we got we got into trouble last time and I spit my wine up all over the microphone when you made a joke last show. But the you know, look, I think content advertising is you know, look, we talk about content in marketing and content marketing. And so, if we start talking about content in that, you know, advertising is inherently content. So you can even argue that it's superfluous, right? Yeah. It's just like saying content content. You know, and so the idea that there can be content marketing that is a process that is infused into a broader strategy of advertising, marketing, and communications, I buy that, Uh, you know, content advertising, I I, I don't know, I it, it. I suppose if if I really think about it it's not that much different than calling it content marketing but you know well, I mean at that point I'm like oh, do I uh, really really, well, we've done mul- really? you and I
1: have done multiple posts on content marketing versus creative advertising. Now, I would call it cre- I call right. it, you know creative advertising like the the Jean-Claude Van Damme video. Creative advertising. Fa- still advertising. Right. Really creative. Yeah. Really thought provoking. Had a lot of shares became the base of a lot of the content marketing they did, but in and of itself was not content marketing. That That's, that's right. where I think that, you know, we get all into these terms. I just thought it was funny as I'm reading the article. I'm like, what? Advertising yes. agency, when did this happen? They're not an advertising right. agency. Anyways, you know, however however the people want to spin it,
0: good for them. Exactly. But congratulations exactly. to the folks' this story. We're really happy for Huge you. Huge congrats to them. I mean, I, I, hope it's, I hope it's everything they wanted it to be. I mean, at that at that acquisition level it's you know it's it's well you know i hope it i hope i hope it's uh, i hope it's everything they wanted it to be and i hope it's a big win for them and they consider it as such
1: absolutely well simon says they're good folks yep. so i take uh, simon speaks the
0: truth most times there if you he's know. not drinking you if he's know, not I'll- drinking I'm- Simon, I love you. I love you. It's all good. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, speaking of big advertising agencies, um, the biggest, Omnicom, uh, are they the biggest these days? Publicists? I don't know. Anyway, so Omnicom says move 25% of your TV budget to video. This actually comes from the Wall Street Journal uh, this last week. And a big hat tip to Pam Kazalka for uh, pointing this out to us. It's a wonderful, wonderful article. And the article starts out by talking about how Daryl Sims, the CEO of Omnicom's group Media Operations, um, is talking about uh, how his firm lately has been advising clients to move 10% to 25% of their TV dollars to online video. And... Uh, I don't know how he says this without getting completely railed with the TV networks, like calling him up and saying, what the heck are you doing here? But basically, he said that cable and broadcast network owners are getting a significant portion of that money back because their programming still makes up a huge share of the premium online video market. And so, I I don't know, what did you think of this article? To me, it sort of says, you know, there's a recognition, finally, by one of the largest agencies on the planet that... Online digital video and sort of video delivery through YouTube and all of the different ways that you consume it online is starting to, you know, usurp uh, the television. I mean, what did you think? I
1: was trying to make some sense of this. So the first thing I'm thinking, OK, let's just take that 25 percent, which is a huge number, 25 percent of television dollars in this. That's the Those are the yeah. most expensive dollars on the planet. Absolutely, his gift basket from Google, I'm sure, oh contains goodness. a very nice. So let's just line, let's right? just take that for what it is, and I understand that that means that we're going to take some of the creative that we're already doing in the form of television commercials and be placing those in, you know, your B-roll stuff and your online distribution. So I, I completely get that that's some of it, but you'll never make up the amount of inventory needed in order to get people to pay attention to your online video. Right. If, if you continue to just create commercials. So I'm think I'm I'm trying to think of okay let's say that's the recommendation and you say okay here's your spending over here we're going to take 25% we're going to put it online and the first thing I'm thinking as an account executive is oh my goodness we don't have enough content we don't have enough really good creative here uh, and and who knows about the strategy but you're not just going to take your commercial content and throw it up there that the high production value you're going to need an entire multiple
0: programs in order to fit especially with those dollars, because
1: that's a lot. Well, that's, a, that's a lot that's of money. That's exactly
0: right. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, this is the equivalent of, you know, when when television, you know, it's, it's you know, I certainly didn't make this up. This is an oft-told tale of when television came around, basically all they did was turn the cameras around and film radio plays, right? So they just turned, you know, they just basically filmed people sitting at a table doing their radio shows, and they didn't understand the difference in the medium and the power of the medium at the time, this smacks a little of that, right? This is basically saying, you know, those TV 30 second spots you've been doing. Well, a lot of people are now watching online video. So you should move those 30 second spots to online digital and move your 30 second spot to, to YouTube. And to me, that couldn't be worse advice, right? I mean, now I don't disagree with moving 10 or 25% or even more of your budget to Online video content, but to say to but to sort of look at it as sort of we're just going to transform our thirty second spot over to YouTube and and do pre roll or do insertions into Hulu or do you know those sorts of things I, I think is a I think is a you know that's a that's a mistaken strategy and, and
1: maybe and, you know this was from a I think from an interview at was it at a show or something like that or was was this a one on whatever right. whatever show I'm wondering if. He covered the gap. Because that's this is there's a gap a content gap, if you if you will, uh, between just throwing that money over and what we're going to put on there. So that's the so I I'm like you. I'm like, okay, let's say you take ten percent of that. You don't just say, Okay, here's we're gonna just move that over and buy more of it and interrupt even more. You're gonna say, Well, are we gonna create a American Express open forum? Are we gonna create a Red Bull Media House? Are we gonna create a Qualcomm Spark? Are we gonna do what Chipotle's doing with their A miniseries? Are we going? How are we going to invest that differently? And I think that's where you're going to get into a lot of interesting
0: conundrums with this money. Oh, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, let's be clear. For 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 most of us in the world, moving ten percent of twenty five percent of our TV dollars. Let's be honest. Most of us are never don't do TV, right? There. I mean, for most companies, don't do TV. For the few that do. TV is still an extraordinarily expensive thing to do. So we're talking about really significant dollars here, you know, for somebody for a large CPG company, you know, a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi. You're talking hundreds of McDonald's, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that we're talking about moving to online video now. And as you often say, which is such g- great advice, you know, if if you take 1% of just that You know, if you took a million dollars or two million dollars of what you would normally spend on a TV spend and put it into content, how much more impact could you create with a digital experience like an American Express? Exactly.
1: I mean, when you and I had the conversation with Jonathan Mildenhall, now now he's CMO of Airbnb, but when he was over at Coca Cola, he says guys, let's be straight. Yes, this is millions of dollars, but this is a drop in the bucket with what we're spending. Right. I mean, we're all enamored exactly. by Content 2020 and all the programs they're running, but he says, right. let's be realistic. This is this is couch cushion change for us, which is just kind of puts it into perspective. I don't think he said couch cushion change. I think that's my words on top of what he was right. wanting to say. Well, he's, yeah.
0: I mean, he's he's English, so it would have been much more elegantly exactly. put than that. It would <laughs> have been pounds, I would imagine.
1: But any, yes, yeah, any, exactly. any, anyway, so that's the thing. But... You know, I think it goes on to, you know, I hate using the Red Bull example, but the Red, you know, I think it's, if you're going to do this and move this money, you know, create your own content platform for it. Then leverage these other cable providers and television providers to help you promote that so that you can steal the audience and get more people to engage in what you have to say. I mean, why not do that?
0: Why don't don't more people
1: do that? I don't get it.
0: I, I, I well, well, that's you know, that's why we're now they have well now, they have, now. Well, now they've I've... gotten permission from uh, Mr. Um, <laughs> from Omnicom, Om. Om. and that's the takeaway, right? I mean, that's the real takeaway that we're that we're getting to here, which is you know, f- for those of us who don't do TV and don't spend hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing, this what the real bottom line takeaway here is to how can we start to think about content. Infused into our marketing and advertising strategy, if we we're doing a content advertising strategy, how do we actually start to infuse 10%, 25% of our traditional advertising budget into something that can make us more impactful, right? Con- creating content that actually infuses and gets promoted through traditional advertising, traditional promotional methods, PR, all the rest, and actually take some of that money and And make it impactful. Maybe this is a great excuse for those that are fighting against, you know, people who are saying all of our media should go to advertising, all of our budget should go to advertising can point to this and say, look, Omnicom is even now saying to move budget to this online digital content space, video space. We should think about where we're actually spending our money uh, in a traditional advertising in a different is, way. Not not necessarily this way, but a different this is,
1: way. This is probably the most critical about more and more of those big agency representatives saying this because, you know, what it is, is it like, you know, you don't get fired for hiring IBM? Is that the traditional saying? It's almost like yeah, you don't get right. fired for putting, you know, X percent of your dollars into television. You don't get fired That's for right. doing what we've done for the last 50 years. I think I, I think right. now we're at a turning point. We're coming to a point where where you're going to get what the heck were you thinking doing that? That's the same thing we've always right. done. Why aren't we doing something different like X Y Z is doing? So I think that's why yeah. that's what I like about this. So maybe we're going to see more of these bigger agents and just just and and not just saying look take it online, which well, this is step one, right? Take it and put it online. I think it's more take it and build an audience.
0: That's so. right. And if look if, if we didn't if we didn't need more proof that this is going to work, um, this next story is just fascinating to me. I mean, this is the, this is to me like the here we go moment. The, this story comes to us from thedrum.com, and the headline is, Faster Than Expected Rise in Branded Content Puts Huffington Post on Course for 30% of Their Revenue to Come from Branded Content Solutions. This is the CEO, Jimmy Mayhem, uh, basically saying that after a faster-than-expected acceleration in the space, he was speaking at the Drums AOP's Autumn Conference in London, basically said that uh, – re- he said, first of all, that the U.K. was second behind the U.S. in branded content market, in his view, and that the publisher, Huffington Post, decided to basically – Take the advertising solution to markets such as Japan and other countries where they've never even heard of the technique. And it's not only been great for that market in general, as he says, but there's been a huge acceleration. It's reaching the masses here in the U.S. and it's now going to be very, very quickly 30 percent of their revenue. This was a this this is sort of a, a big moment, I think, for 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 native advertising, for content solutions, all types of things. What say you? As I was b- b-
1: I agree with you it's it's big news but as I was reading this I was thinking native advertising is the gateway drug for full-fledged <laughs> content marketing programs <laughs> Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh that's a very nice
0: I, way I, I think to put that's going right? to be the headline so for I, the post I thought we were not I thought I thought we were going to get away from the smallpox and genocide No 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 <laughs> Seriously th- think think about this right? We
1: are seeing we're All seeing right. more Okay, I'm with see, you. I'm with you so far. excitement uh, yeah. about <laughs> the the whole push to native advertising and of course we're seeing the results because because HuffPost is growing like crazy. 30% is a huge number. Generally in most publishing organizations oh, it's huge. you're seeing 10%. Maybe you're seeing right. 15%, 20% is 30% is huge. I mean, of course, it's not BuzzFeed's 95% or whatever they do, but BuzzFeed's a different model. If you just look at traditional online publishing, 30% is kind of high. But if you look at a lot of these companies out there that are getting word from the Omnicoms of the world that they need to move their money, they're like, okay, well, what am I going to do to start getting into that? They're testing it through native advertising. They're not creating their own platforms. They're saying, okay, well, how do we use somebody else's platform first and try this out? Do we have anything to say? What are we going to say? How is it going to help our business? They're just starting to ask those kinds of questions, and it ends up being native, and it's growing like crazy. So that's what I – that's my take. It's the gateway drug. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we're seeing it happen.
0: Yes. All right. Well, that is our headline. I mean – but the interesting thing to me too is that let's not forget that Huffington Post is not its own little world, right? I mean it belongs to this larger entity called AOL. Mm -hmm. And so – I wonder if this is a really interesting, you know, if if I'm sort of at the top of the food chain as it were in at AOL, I look at this and go, "Huh. The Huffington Post is now a very interesting content marketing platform or native advertising or gateway drug or whatever for us as a company." And this becomes a a, a really interesting thing for the larger organizations that have multiple publications to start to look at as a way to really monetize different publishing channels more broadly, right? Because as they're managing a portfolio of content, of owned content assets like Huffington Post and like all of the other things that they do, if they can strike a really interesting balance here where they say, okay, well, 30% is the right number. Is it 10%? Is it 40%? What's the right number? Because if we look at Huffington Post in isolation, we go, wow, 30% of your revenue is in, in this method. Maybe that feels high, maybe it doesn't i you know I don't have a judgment on that one way or the other, but if I look at it in the conceit of okay, as AOL starts to look at its portfolio of content properties, Huffpo plus all of the myriad others that they have, well, now that seems like a you know that seems like a pretty nice balanced portfolio in that mm-hmm. in that perspective, especially if some of the more purer you know, and I don't know if this is a slam on Huffpo or not, but the purer news solutions or the news platforms might have a much less. Native advertising and/or content marketing approach. Maybe they've only got five percent or two percent.
1: Oh, I, well, that's a really good point because I think the more seriously, uh, more serious news that is driven uh, from a content standpoint, the less opportunity there is for native integrations.
0: But exactly, we've talked about but, that. Right? That's true. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so BuzzFeed, which will talk about anything stupid right? Just to right. get attention, any kind of list you want to throw out there, they could it could be all because nobody cares. It's, it's not like you're going right. to hurt the brand of BuzzFeed if you do something stupid. That's right. It's probably going to help it. Um, right. Now, if you look at what's interesting is in the article, it said uh, two years ago, what we call content marketing, which is basically branded content, native advertising, and social impact campaigns, didn't really exist for us. So two years ago, let's just say that was a couple percent. Now it's 30 percent. That That And he says, that's a significant shift. Yes, absolutely, it's significant. But what's interesting is, so this is just my sidebar anytime I see this. From a valuation perspective, that means that the venture capitalists of the world, the angel investors of the world, uh, the M&A environment are valuing this differently than they did 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, if you had a content marketing group it was basically discounted cuz its contract it's it's contract um, for hire interesting. it's not of value it's basically valued less than what it normally should be because it's not an owned asset so i'm assuming native advertising you can say oh is it a part of an owned asset still they own that company or they license it however you're going to work that but they're they're still huffpo is still doing content platforms for other people uh, they're sort of spending media buys on other things outside. They're probably using some of the syndication networks as well to get promotion. So that's, I think a change as well that most people don't realize the VC community is not discounting this anymore. They're putting it yeah, at least on that's, par. That's a
0: fascinating point.
1: So that's the, and so now you're seeing, cause that's where, when I talk to a lot of these big publishers from really big business to business companies, they didn't want to do any of this because they're saying, Joe, if I want to sell in three or four years, I don't get it. that doesn't help me at all. Sell the organ. Right. If that's changed, watch out. Because now you're going to get yeah. CEOs from all these big publishing companies saying, hey, <laughs> we're okay now. Let's go for yeah. it. And because they, they were all, you know, and then there was all this worry about what content I'm going to put on my homepage and on my site that's going to hurt our credibility. And you and I have talked about that forever. But they seemed to be willing to take that risk. So,
0: well, that's the real key here is, is that, you know, as we've said many times, this is a, we're still way early in experimental mode here. And you've got a lot of publishers that are experimenting with this and pushing the boundaries, you know, which, you know, I mean, I got to be honest. I like, I like the fact that they're as a marketer and even as a publisher, you know, they're pushing boundaries here and they're pushing a lot of buttons. And well, you know, talk about pushing buttons here. Our our next, our next article talks about exactly that. Right. So this comes from PR Daily. By way of a blog, which will become relevant in just a moment as we talk <laughs> about this. Um, but the headline is what PR pros know that content marketers don't. Um, and this one was this one ranked high on the stupidity level for me. Um, this one th- basically, it's an article that talks about and, and and it comes from a blog and then it was either syndicated or not through pr daily. and it and it's and it's written by a guy who says that basically he got contacted by a, quote unquote PR rep. Um, who was contacting reporters and offering to pay them money to write uh, content for them. And he then posted a a picture of the actual email that he got um, and then goes on quite a bit of a rant to talk about how in his journalism school— this was framed as a separation of church and state and the newsroom and that the, that they shouldn't get money for this. And this was directed toward the advertising department and the newsroom was walled off from that transaction. So as not to duly influence the fair and objective news gathering process. And Oh my God, before I go off on a rant, what say you Joe Polizzi to this? I was confused actually when I, when I, so
1: I'm, (laughs) you know, so that the the listeners can understand and you can go to the article and check it out. But it sounds like this person and, and the, sharing some some examples about getting contacted so you're a reporter and you get contacted and that and that person that contacts you says hey would you please write more favorably about me in your publication and I will pay you of course that's, that's completely bad. wrong but that's what they that's what that's that's it bad. sounds like they're saying as the example and you and I both looked at the example and we read the example from a person basically reaching out to the writer different not the not the person that's writing this article but they're using this as an example saying right. i really like your articles on the st louis post dispatch and other things that you've done we're looking to launch a blog and i would like to pay you if you would like to write on my blog which i don't have any which is exactly with. what
0: we would tell people right it's exactly what we would tell people to do in many cases right we i mean we often will say look Yes, you could use some of the content agencies, some of the writers' networks and those sorts of things to, to pay for content that you need. You know, you need supplemental content for your blog or you need supplemental content for white papers, etc. That's certainly one way to do it. Another way is to go out and find writers you really trust and respect and really enjoy their writing and ask them if they would like to write for money. I mean – Th- this, there's nothing wrong ridiculous. With that.
1: it's so ridiculous because then right after he shows the picture of and everybody's got to see this he shows the picture of the person asking saying i will pay you if you'd like to write for us which would be great and if not that's fine but then the, then right. the, no big then deal The au- no, harm the no au- yeah, exactly the author of this story says well what does a pr pro need to learn to conduct themselves in, in a professional way ethics objectivity accuracy first amendment rights, sunshine i'm like, what? When has a PR rep ever been objective about anything? Besides the point is, so here's the bigger issue that I think we need to bring up. And I'm and I love what the folks at Reagan have done. I mean, I don't want to. We're not going. I'm not going to go all uh, one side or the other against Reagan. <laughs> Nuclear. But why was this posted on Reagan's PR daily? This is this right. is an inaccurate article. Uh, it it only leads to confusion. And even when you look at the comments, people are like, I don't think you. What What is that from The Princess Bride? I don't think it means what yeah. you think it means. <laughs> you, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Does yes, it yeah. Right. So, yeah. So anyways, I would – so that's why – so let's get this to content marketing and really look at what's going on. I thought – because then we looked at where did this come from. It came from somebody's blog. So then we're looking at the way that it was done. It almost looks like it was automatically syndicated in through PR Daily's feed, which – Now I'm asking, is there somebody that actually looks over this stuff or does it just automatically post, which it could
0: just automatically post?
1: So I'm just saying for those people listening, you need some kind of a review process to go through that.
0: Well, the irony is truly delicious here, right? I mean, here we have something that was written clearly. I mean, I'm assuming that person doesn't write on their own blog for the sake of, you know, the self-satisfaction of it. i'm assuming they're writing on their blog because they think in some way it furthers their business whether it does or not doesn't matter the intention is that it's a content marketing or intention of moving their business forward which is then automatically getting some quote-unquote earned media on pr daily have they just sort of invalidated their own argument so meta that's that's meta meta. and meta inside meta is what that is yeah
1: it's <laughs> it's It's
0: a, it's, 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 a, it's a riddle wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a PR executive. You
1: know what that it. is? That's shenanigans. That's ex- that's shenanigans.
0: <laughs> I call shenanigans. I call shenanigans on PR Daily here. By the way, and I call shenanigans on that. By author. the way,
1: for those listening, so, so people in, in other countries might not get the whole shenanigans things, but there's a movie out called Super Troopers. And if uh, if you get it, and it's not safe for work type of a movie, but there's a a part in there about shenanigans that you just have to see. So I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it at that. So if you ever wanna if you ever wanna go see a movie, probably by yourself. You don't want any other people around because it's it's sort of sort of uh, a little bit. It's a dumb, bit movie. dumb, and it's raunchy, funny movie. But the whole yeah. thing about shenanigans, gotta see it. All right.
0: All right, well, speaking of paying our bills and speaking of shenanigans let's uh we have a we have a a, a continuing, one of my favorite sponsors of all time it's just a a great 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 sponsor
1: absolutely so uh we're doing double duty here uh second time in a row to our sponsor Ektron. and of course, as always. Uh, We ask our sponsors to give us really great content so we could talk about it so we don't have to talk about them. We talk about all the great content that they're putting out, a little content marketing. And this one is called A 5-Minute Guide to Rebranding and Redesigning Your Website. And this is what I like about this because this tells it like it is. It really is a five-minute guide. I read it in less than five minutes. Uh, And basically, it's a whole idea of why would you decide to rebrand or redesign your website and who is setting their priorities around that. So what we found you know and you've you've done this cuz you were you grew up in the content management industry robert companies redesign their website for all sorts of various insane reasons but Absolutely sometimes right. some interesting reasons around customer engagement they want more lead gen they need more revenue and what we're finding is while it used to design you know set those priorities we're finding which is the whole weird thing about this whole thing right now it's marketing marketing is really becoming uh, we're starting to make the decisions over that. And as most people know, marketers, <laughs> you got to be careful if marketers are making IT decisions. So, we want you to take a look at this if you're thinking about redesi- redesigning or rebranding your website. We talk about some things in this uh, white paper about publishing content without IT involvement, uh, targeting content to specific audiences. Uh, If you need to integrate with third-party applications like analytics or CRM or marketing automation, and they'll show you how to boost conversions and whatnot. So if you get a chance, please download this. I guarantee you it won't take too much of your time. You can get the five-minute guide and download it at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand. And once again... This Old Marketing, special thank you to our sponsor this week, Such a fantastic, yeah. You
0: got it. Such a fantastic, uh, you know, I got to tell you, as as, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and as you mentioned, grew up in the content management and marketing space and, you know, we often get, you know, the inside baseball stuff with regard to content marketing, marketing, digital marketing. It's very easy for us to sometimes assume that some of the basic blocking and tackling isn't T- or is taken care of. And what I love about this guide so much is that it's like, this is just a very, a very, very straightforward and pragmatic way of looking at it to say, look, you need to cover off all of these things in your next web website redesign. And this is just a great way to do it. So, yeah. So, well, you know, to- and it
1: reminds me just as a little sidebar here, it reminds me of the framework that, that you put together, where we have, I think it's 37 questions to ask before you create yeah. your content marketing uh, documented content marketing strategy, and a lot of people don't like that because basically we they have to ask themselves questions. <laughs> that's it's yeah, like yeah,
0: right exactly, you know, and it, sometimes we don't like the
1: answer. Well, to that's those the questions. issue is, is is you need to at least be asking those questions. A lot of people want okay, right. what do I need to do? Give me the seven step process, and sometimes it's that simple. But most of the time it's not. Right. Most of the time, you actually need to say, look, you have to go back in your organization and find this out. And so that's why I like this as well. well it's
0: it, I just had to, it's so funny. I just had this conversation with a client last week, where we were talking about, and he looked at me and he said, "Well, what do you think is the best way for us to organize our content marketing process? Should we centralize it under the larger division, or should we have each individual group uh, manage it, or should we have something different?" And I said, "Have you asked yourself that question?" And he said, "No." And I said that's the first let's step that, that there, yeah let's do that let's just let's just ask ourselves actually there is no right answer there but the the question is have we asked ourselves what do we want to do right it's like saying would you like to go to the chinese restaurant or would you like to go or should we go to the chinese restaurant or should we go mm-hmm. to the fast
1: food well it's you know on that note let's well ask. and i was at uh i was on a great panel led by doug kessler at marketing Pross b2b last week uh doug and uh, we, we love doug and uh we were, you know, it was just basically the question was asked, you know, how would you, you know, it was to large enterprises. How would you set up your content marketing program? And I said, well, for, well, really all you need is you just need to have some organization. Other than that, you need to go back inside right. and figure out what's going to be best for your organization because the, the culture is different. The setup's different. Sometimes you can't get buy-in this way. You need to get it this way. So it all depends on your organization. Nobody likes that answer, but it's the truth. That's right. They just want to do right. it this way. But I, what I do like exactly. is the research tells us we need some kind of structure. It's not just And by the way, I heard I saw some tweets from you at the you were at the conductor conference and you were saying that, right? It's just like it's it's everybody's job and nobody's job which you say all the time. That's, and that's what that's <laughs> if exactly it's that right. way, it's a problem, right? It needs to be that's somebody's exactly job. That's exactly
0: right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, before we each get off on different rants and raves, now is the time of the show when we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that's getting us up in arms or something that we want to spread a little love to. Um, And I think I'm taking this old marketing this week, so I am going to go first. Yay. So, okay. This comes to us from down under. Uh, down in Australia, and it's an article that came from Mumbrella, uh, and somebody who I will full disclosure is a friend and family of the show and of CMI, Tracy Fitzgerald, who has a, uh, a company, Brandalism, just a fantastic oh, organization. Yeah, it's wonderful. And she wrote an article uh, that about – and the title of the article were was Journalists Need to Embrace Brand Journalism. And, you know, get, again, getting beyond terms here, uh, the her, the the source or the, the sort of thrust of her article is so spot on, and it caused quite a bit of uproar, I guess. I mean, she actually emailed me and said, hey, I, this is, you know, can you go look at this? Because this is causing a little bit of, you know, tumult here in, uh, in Australia. And sure enough, the comments are just, you know, we'll of course post the link in the show notes, but the comments are, I mean, just all over the map, but mostly interestingly and weirdly negative toward what she's saying here. And and that's where I want to go off on, I guess it's a rant. I don't know if it's a rave about the article or a rant about the reaction to it. But in, in any event, what she says is, I won't spoil the whole article, but basically the way that she says it, she says it really well here, and this will be a quote, is uh, for me, she says, The issue is that brand journalism is being influenced by people with no experience in journalism, people who want to create a label and make it work for them in whichever way generates the most money. This is the problem, and this is where we should place our attention. And then she goes on to tell a story here and then basically sums it up with the end that says, if you deem journalism as being the practice of gathering and reporting information and in news across a platform to a particular audience, then the only real difference is the platform. And that, uh, to me, that says it all, right? Which gets to what we were talking about earlier in the show. It gets to what we've talked about on other shows, which is, look, all journalism is sponsored unless you're doing it for free. But if you're working for a newspaper, if you're working for a a magazine, if you're working for an online place, I don't care how physical or virtual the wall is. You are close to, you are writing sponsored content. The content you are writing is paid for in some way else you would not be getting a paycheck. And the question is only how close are you to the money? And so, as I've said before, would you rather if as a brand journalist as a journalist would you rather your money come from some place that you actually believe or would you actually like that content or that money to be coming from you know uh, something that you don't believe in and if you believe in the mission that the company is doing the brand is doing and you believe in what they stand for why couldn't that money come from some place like that it doesn't have to come from something that is traditionally quote unquote a news organization and as we all know News organizations these days have less and less of an uh, interest in being objective and having sort of the true spirit of quote-unquote journalism, and they do about purporting some point of view. We've got them here in the States, they're in Australia, they're everywhere, and so I don't understand why this, that journalism as a practice, as something that I'm going to come out of school with a degree in, or that I'm going to go practice as a career, I'm not under sure why there's this argument about where the money is coming from and why that sort of spoils the idea. Journalism is an ideal, uh, and the practice of journalism is an ideal, it doesn't have anything to do with where your paycheck comes from
1: well I will tell you why I actually have the answer to this and it, and it came oh to gosh. me on Saturday so I'm going to tell you this this is, this is really deep stuff uh, oh, I was, so we were out with our, we out with our friends going to see Motown uh, on the musical which by the way is fabulous, it's fantastic yeah. I love all that music, really really good story um, and one of our friends is a teacher and I was asking about Common Core so if you're familiar with Common Core
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I I I dealt with the Bill and Melinda Gates okay, Foundation, so, which is all Common Core exactly. all the time.
1: And I'm asking about it because I'm trying to help the kids with the homework, and they're doing Common Core, and I don't understand it at all. Because I'm just like, 51 minus 31 is 20. I can see it right there. It is. He's like, no, we got to do this, this, and this, and they write five or six lines, and then they come up with the answer that's supposed to be a better way to get there. And I don't get it, right, because I've never done it. And I was talking with the teacher, our friend Laurel, Laurel about this, and she said, look, you're hardwired already. You've been doing this so long in one way, it's hard for you to think differently about how you should do a math problem because you've always done the math problem that way. And somebody else is saying there's a different way to look at it, a different lens, and you're saying it's silly because you've never done it. And now when I look at the kids – you know, if if a kid really gets it, it's it's as easy as or easier, or you think different. It's there's I guess there's something good to it. I don't see it, but I'm hardwired for the way I was always taught, and I think that's the biggest issue. It's change, right? It's just they're not. This is a exactly different way right. of looking at the way that we get information out to consumers, and that's it's exactly so. Right. Not that I had to go through exactly my personal right. story to get, get there, but that's well. Me think I mean, of interestingly,
0: that. I mean. So there's a, there's a wonderful, so this, I mean, this gets to something that I speak to in, so you mentioned the conductor conference and I actually talk about this in that, you know, in this method, as we develop methodologies for content marketing, it's this thing that I say, you know, hopefully a little provocatively and I say facts don't change beliefs and that's true. And, and it, it never came so vivid for me as when i was working with the bill and melinda gates foundation and i was sitting around a table with a bunch of phds who had stacks i mean books of facts about why common core was more productive for students they had you know they had research they had facts that you know they could they could debate you for days and i and they said we can't get this story out how do we get this out there and i said well how's all those facts working out for you and they're not because the reason is is because all the opposition has to do is put up a a brilliant photograph of a little girl crying over her homework and they've now convinced you and everybody else that had any sort of doubt about common core that it's horrible because it makes little girls cry and that so facts don't change belief we if we want to change a belief we have to connect emotionally we have to connect at a belief changing way that enables us to attach ourselves to our brand in an empathic way. And it's just that's the, all there is to it. So it's a it's 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 interesting as it applies to brand journalism here and convincing journalists, you know, that we're never going to change it with the facts. We're gonna only change it when they actually believe what you just said, which is a, a, a which is so true. I just I just got chills
1: when you said that. I want <laughs> you to know that. I'm totally <laughs> Wow. I know that was that was like i mean i am let's put it in perspective but that was sermon on the mount stuff right there i mean that was that was really really good oh my
0: gosh we're this this oh, show no.
1: is going down the toilet
0: fast yeah <laughs> well maybe we should move to your rant for, for okay. a minute well this speaking. is you know
1: this is it's almost the same as yours. It's a rant and a rave. So this is um, something uh, I follow Bob Bly on Facebook, and I love Bob. You know, Bob's been a great marketer, direct marketer for years, and he shared this video from Harlan Ellison on his Facebook page, it's a three-minute, 25-second video. Uh, we'll put the uh, put, put in the show notes. There's a couple, um, a couple words in there that are not safe to work, so just beware on that. But it's called Pay the Writer. And I love it. It's a rant, and Harlan goes on a three-minute rant about him getting contacted and somebody wanting to take some of his information for free for in, in exchange for exposure and not pay him and goes off on a rant about you have to pay and what, are you getting paid or your boss getting paid or you getting money on this deal and why am I the only one not going to get paid on this and just goes off on it? And in the Facebook thread too, they were you know, most people were agreeing, Yeah, yeah, pay the writer, pay the writer. But so here's my rant side of it. I don't agree with that all the time. Actually, most of the time I don't agree with it. It depends on the business model. So my take is this if it's Harlan Ellison, it's fine to feel that way because he gets paid on his writing. Doesn't that's what he gets that's his livelihood. Absolutely gets paid if he's not getting paid on his writing and on the content he's creating directly then he's not going to be eating that day or he's not going to go do what he wants to do. But in most cases, for us, we get that kind of exposure. We might want be okay with that and want to share that content out because our business model might be different. For example, if you look at Content Marketing Institute, we give away quite a bit of information during different times. And we actually have quite a few experts like Harlan that want to get their names out in front of our audience because it helps them. It helps them get consulting gigs. It helps them get better jobs. It helps them do things that they couldn't normally do. And they so they say, look, I don't want to get paid directly on that because I think that there are more valuable benefits coming in other ways down the road. So my whole take, and I guess I wanted to get your take with it as well. So I just wanted to make the case where, yes, if a writer wants to get paid and that's their business model, then they should get paid and you should stand up and say, I am going to get paid or you can't use this. But you have to look at your business model because you might have a business model where it's better to give that content away.
0: Well, you have to look at your business model in the scheme of so I mean, speaking of, you know, change and disruption, you've got to look at your business model in the whole context of what's going on in the industry around you. I mean, you know, there couldn't be a more appropriate metaphor from this than what happened in the music industry you know so it used to be that artists would get signed and I've worked with my fair share and if you look at my blog or if you look at my site you'll it's easy to see who I've worked with in the past in terms of famous musicians who were signed in the 70s and 80s when you got a three hundred thousand dollar bonus for signing plus a million-dollar development contract to go do an album or two, and then you would produce that album and you would earn all kinds of royalties on the sale of that album, and you would earn a little bit of money from touring and, and, and all of that, and you would go under, and you basically were a multi-multi-millionaire for creating music. Well, that entire industry got disrupted. And now, as we all know, most musicians these days are p- getting paid peanuts for their music that they create, and they're making their money either through 360-degree deals, you know, through touring and merchandising, and they've had to reorient themselves to the market conditions. And that's the real... I mean, that's happening in so many industries. I mean, I saw some statistic, like 85 or 90% of all industries are getting disrupted in some way by digital globalization, all of this different things that are happening. And so... In the context of how you deal, if you're a photographer, if you're a journalist, if you're a musician, if you're a writer, if you're, uh, if you're a librarian, if you're a stenotypist, if you're an elevator operator, you will get disrupted in your business and what you do with the advent of technologies and new markets and the way that consumers buy goods and services. It just happens. And so how you reorient yourself to that is really your adaptation to surviving. And so Harlan may actually end up being a dinosaur here. And, yeah, he may get paid for a while, and then he may not. That's the, that's the you know, you've got to figure out ways to sort of disrupt yourself continually. Well, and people
1: can go elsewhere. You know, it's interesting, that example that you made, that just came up with the NFL and Katy Perry. Did you see that story? Yeah, yeah. So They exactly. were saying, Katy Perry, you should, you should basically not charge us or give us money or something like that in order. We'll give you all this exposure. And she said, well, I'm at a point in my career where I don't need it. I don't need you. Right. That's exactly so. so right. She has. She's okay because her business
0: model, and she does great on her, um, on her events. They're selling the Super Bowl. They're selling the Super Bowl halftime show basically as a native ad spot. Yeah. For a, for a music act that would like to pay to have that exposure, and Katy Perry doesn't need it, but some other artists may.
1: But to your point as well, you know, you're saying music. Of course, the same thing has happened with traditional publishing that we've been ranting we've Absolutely. been ranting on the whole time because people aren't paying traditional advertising to support it. So you have to figure out what is my new business model associated with that. And of course, exactly. is that donations? Is it events? Is it native advertising? Is it product sales? You know, what are they? So it's just interesting. But I love you know, for those of you that get a chance, just just watch the,
0: I was laughing. I was oh, laughing. Great. I, I mean, was Harley is always so, entertaining.
1: So he's so yeah. passionate about it. You got to respect
0: oh, that. Oh yeah. And he's such a great writer. I mean, he's a wonderful, wonderful writer. I mean, his, his books are amazing. Love it. Love it. So it is now time for the namesake of the show, this old marketing. And, uh, this week has a really interesting example. I, we, Picked it not because of the depth of information we had on it, but just basic celebrating some of the stuff we talked about earlier in the show with discovery and it being Columbus Day and exploration and all that kind of thing. And this comes to us, by the way, big huge hat tip uh, to Michael Weberberger. Uh, he on Twitter, he's at m i c h i underscore w seventy six. Um, Michael, you could not have picked a more obscure Twitter <laughs> handle, but, that, but there you go. And Great just tipped us off to this wonderful, wonderful piece that he found from the Museum of Technology in Vienna, where he talked about in the mid-1920s the pioneers of space travel. Um, basically, they had to win over sponsors for their research. They're, I mean, let's face it, not a lot of people were thinking about space travel in the 1920s, and especially real funded research work. So they had to first, as they understood it, convince the public that this idea of space travel could be implemented in some kind of near future. So what they do? They wrote books. They aimed at the consumer, not at the sort of business user or the sort of funders of this, but actually at the lay reader, as they called it. They published articles in newspapers. They had public lectures. They used science fiction. And they disseminated all the different findings that they had to date using contextualization across all of these different mediums to really build a public demand for space research. And then, made, and then they thus, you know, basically succeeded in making this new technology of space travel and rocketry, more specifically in their day, really seem plausible to the public at large. And so the public started saying, "Yeah, this is something we, we should be investing our time in." And once they had that sort of firmly anchored in the public's mind, this idea of space travel could now be marketed. So this is well before the internet. This is well before anything we can really link to, sadly. But it, it is really a great example of how content aimed at an influencer persona can really drive an idea of a business uh, result to get, in this case, something funded for science research. And I just love it as an example of this. That's a great example. When, When I saw that, it
1: reminded me of the book Marketing the Moon. Uh, David Merriman Scott, yeah.
0: Jurek. Uh, DMS's, DMS's book, is, is, a book is, a
1: good one. is a good one because it talks about how they're gonna get their, you know, their Apollo eleven mission to the moon. And it it, it basically is the idea that NASA pioneered a, a version of brand journalism, what what David calls it, uh, very similar to this type of a thing. You know, they're trying to create content targeted at consumers so that they would get interested. And what I love exactly. about it, it's something about how uh, when when that whole launch came about, more people watched that launch in, oh, 94% of American televisions were tuned to Apollo, the Apollo 11 Mission to the Moon. And and it's like, how did they get that much attention? And they talked about they just told really good stories in a lot of different places. And they created that kind of interest all on their own. So
0: It's something, quite frankly, that's missing from our country more broadly. I mean, I don't want to get off on another rant here. But something. Mean, that's something, the sense of adventure and exploration that we had. You know, back then, even with all the tumultuous things that were going on is something that's, I think, I think sadly missing from today's today's. Environment. You know, I
1: do have to say this and I'm going to give a shout out to our friend Shane Snow. Um, Shane wrote a book called Smart Cuts and there's a section of that entire book that's on what um, what's his name? The Tesla owner. What's his name? That, uh, oh, yeah. Elon, Elon Musk, Musk that he's doing with SpaceX. And yeah. it talk about that adventurous spirit and the money and the passion and the fear or the and the and the uh, the risk they're putting behind it. It's just that that was an amazing chapter to see what SpaceX yeah. is doing around that. He is, I mean, really, true, really true. Is he is,
0: he is got a lot of that. But really. I
1: love the I love the idea. It's like okay, well, how do we have to change the opinions? And we can't do it through advertising. We need to do it through telling really compelling stories. And kind of back to the whole centerpiece of this show, and you brought it up a little bit ago, emotion. You got to connect with emotion in some way. And that's what they were able to do. So really good stuff.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, where are you off to? You're off to...
1: Madison, beautiful, I think, yes. beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, which oh, is much more nice. beautiful in October than it is in January. The last time I was there, <laughs> uh, but looking forward to going. I'm I'm keynoting tomorrow morning the Widen User Event. So, bar
0: oh, I love those guys, those great guys. guys.
1: So, as, as barring any uh, you know uh, delays at O'Hare, hopefully I will make it there tonight uh, <laughs> at some point. There always seems to be delays going through, and then you're just cranking it out before our uh, big uh, Denver event next week, correct?
0: masterclass next week. Yes, I am uh, I'm home all this week, uh basically getting ready for that and I'm um, getting ready for my marathon trip which will be starting next week where I am on the road for a good 3 or 4 weeks uh leading up to Thanksgiving. Holiday. I think
1: I think you and I are going to be doing a lot of these from the road over the next 4 to 5, um, I think 4 to 5 too. weeks, yeah. so there <laughs> exactly you go. Right. Fantastic.
0: There is that. All right. Well, that is it folks for Joe polizzi This is Robert Rose signing off and You know, like Michael, tweet us up, hashtag this old marketing. Let us know about this old marketing examples, ask questions, or, you know, just keep in touch. If you've got a question, you can also send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 48, please do consider subscribing via iTunes or stitcher.com and give us a review, won't you? All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.